ministry, uh, very faithful servants uh, in the kingdom of the Lord. And this morning I've asked Brother Drew if he would preach the word for us. And he's going to also be preaching this afternoon, so we're, we're working him hard while he's on the West Coast. But uh, we believe God wants to speak to us. Amen. So just let those folk pray. Don't, don't be bothered by that. If those little ones get the Holy Ghost, we can have a praise break in the middle of the message. That's okay. But we're going to invite our brother to come and preach the word to us this morning. Let's make him welcome. Praise the Lord, everyone. Um, it's good to be here on uh, the West Coast. This is my second time on the West Coast. We don't obviously come over here too frequently. I'm based in Canberra, so uh, uh, with my wife and sister Helen Cook is also, well, she's based in Sydney on the East Coast. So, you know, it's, it's a, a privilege and honour to come out this way. And um, this is my first time here at this church and um, to see your wonderful faces. Some of them I recognise from conferences gone by um, or men's camps, different things like that. Um, but there's a lot of new faces here, so it's wonderful to see, and um, it's great to be here. So, praise the Lord, and a wonderful um, move in presence of God. I feel like I've just been to a mini-conference, uh, which is wonderful, and um, praise God for what He's doing with the, the children. God's kingdom is moving on, amen? So, it's, it's wonderful. So, um, I guess today we'll get right into the Word. Let's move. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 4 and uh, verse 18 to 20. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I've titled this message, The Three Loves of Evangelism. And I want to touch on, um, on evangelism, soul winning. And this scripture we're about to read, it talks about being fishers of men. So let's read from verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, and they followed him. Let's just pray just before we get into the, the message. Lord God, we are thankful people, Lord Jesus, to be found in your house this morning, Lord God, where we can feel your presence, Lord, and we can hear your word and allow your word, Lord, to be sown into our hearts. And this morning we just pray as we uh, hear the word, Lord, that our hearts would be receptive, Lord God, that it would indeed fall on good soil, and Lord God, that you would have your way in our lives, Lord Jesus. Make us and mold us according to your purpose and your plan. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise God. So, from this scripture, we read right from the beginning. This is right from the beginning. Jesus told his disciples what he had called them to do. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you departmental leaders. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you great musicians, although we do love the musicians and we do need musicians. But he had a, a grander plan for every one of his disciples, of which we are, you know, we are in this place today. And his plan was that we would be fishers of men, fishers of men. And so soul winning, if we think about it, is the sole reason that we are here today. The reason we're not caught up into heaven as soon as we're born again, but we are here today because 
Jesus has called us to win souls. We know Mark 16 and uh, verse 15 to 16, it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says in Matthew 28 and 18 to 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. These were the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples. And we would imagine that these last words would be the words that are most dearest to the heart of Jesus. These last words would be the words that, that uh, meant the most and were most important to our Lord. And so we find that Jesus gave his disciples the task of carrying the gospel to the whole world. What a task. And we find 2,000 years later that the mission hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, the goal is still the same. And God has chosen to partner with us to reach this lost generation. Amen. So the mission should underpin everything that we do. You know, whether it's a youth meeting, whether it's a ladies meeting, whether it's a children's ministry, everything that we do should be underpinned with the heart of God to reach souls. And God wants to reach souls through every avenue of the church, and not just the church, but through our lives. And so it must become a part of our lifestyle. Jesus said that he was about his father's business, and we also need to be about our father's business. So we are his hands, we are his feet, we are the bridge between heaven and hell for this world. We are the ones in between, standing in the gap and bringing them to Jesus. When Jesus looked around the multitude, he referred to them as a sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus was moved with compassion for the lost sheep. But he pinpoints the very thing that would challenge the growth of his kingdom. And it wasn't the devil and it wasn't the world. But he said, my laborers are few. My laborers are few. The lost in number are innumerable, but his laborers are few. The challenge ahead is great, but his laborers are few. And when we think about today, 2,000 years on, strangely, we still say the laborers are few. Because we all love the presence of God and praise God for that. We all love to hear the preacher preach and we all love to hear the choir sing. We love um, the teaching of our Sunday school kids. All of these things are wonderful. But do we love to share the gospel? This is what I want to talk about this morning. Every person on earth is either a missionary or we're a mission field. We're either saved or we're in need of saving. And if we are part of the missionaries, church is really not a place that we come to, but it is actually a place that we go from. Yes, we come here and we experience the presence of God, and we love the fellowship of the saints, but really we're consolidating, we're becoming refreshed, and we're going back out there into the world to be His light, to be the salt, to be His witnesses. Because that's our mission. Soul winning is our mission. And sometimes we can think that church is the end game, but really church is a place of preparation. So very often 
when it comes to evangelism, evangelism, we can think, well, that's something that we reserve for the evangelist. That's something we reserve for revival meetings. Or we say, well, I'm too shy. I'm, I'm not really that kind of a personality. I don't know what to say to people. Well, I'm hoping I can make a difference this morning because one man defined it this way. He said, it's simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And when we consider this definition of soul winning, we realize that really it's not that hard after all. You don't have to have a theory in theology, uh, a degree in theology. You don't have to have done uh, 10 years service in the church before you can actually go out and, and, and witness to someone. But it's really just one beggar telling another where he found bread. And when we think about that, there's no judgmentalism. There's no preaching from an ivory tower. There's no debating and there's no arguing. We're simply paying forward what someone has shown us. And when we have this approach, evangelism becomes very organic. When we think about the Bible in Jesus' day, when Andrew found Jesus and you recognized him as the Messiah, he went straight away to his brother Simon Peter and told him about that. When we think about the Samaritan woman at the well when she met Jesus, she went straight away to the community and to her friends and, and she told them about Jesus. And when we think about the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he went straight and told them. He didn't have to be convinced and, 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 uh, and, and kind of coerced into it, but it was something they did because they were excited about the good news. And really, this is good news. You know, if we have uh, free coffees down the street, we'll go tell our friends, there's free coffees down at this cafe. Go down there and enjoy a, a cappuccino. If there's half-price tutoring, you know, for, for kids, we'll go tell every parent that we know with young children and we'll tell them, go down and see this tutor. Half-price tutoring. Or, or if we had a cure for cancer, we'll go find every cancer sufferer and we tell them about the cure. It's good news. And this gospel is good news. Not only is it good news, it's great news. Because we're dealing with not just sin in people's lives, but we're dealing with people's salvation, eternity. And so we maybe just need to get a little bit, a little bit excited about the gospel again today. Maybe we just need to remember and reflect upon our own testimony and what God's done in our life. Because it's good news. And when we consider it's good news, we think, well, if God did it for me, then just maybe he can do it for my neighbor. Just maybe he can do it for my colleague at work. Maybe he can do it for my friend. You know, nothing is too hard for the Lord. But we've got to get a little bit excited about the message. Jesus said, wherever I go, or wherever you go, I will be with you. And so I just want to bring three points this morning that hopefully will help us when we consider this mission of soul winning. And the first one is we must love loving God. We've got to love this walk, love this lifestyle, love this way of living. We'll never win somebody to the Lord if we're walking around with a frown on our face thinking, man, this, this Christian life is a drag. Come to church. It's never going to work. But we've got to love this walk that, we, that we're walking with the Lord. 
I asked the question this morning, are you fulfilled and are you content in your Christian walk today? I don't know if you've ever seen a particular Christian who's just bubbling over with joy. They've got the joy of the Lord in their, their heart. They're, they're always seemingly content and they're generous and uh, nothing seems to upset them. And you just wonder, what is it that they know that I don't know? I just want to hang around people like that and, and, and let the, the, the Spirit of God that you can see in them just rub off. You know, that's how it ought to be with us. We could say this Scripture. Let me find that Scripture. Oh. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I was thinking about that scripture and I was thinking, taste and see that the Lord is good ought to be the motto for the Christian life. Because we're the poster boy and the poster girl. And we're trying to get people to come to the Lord and taste of the Lord and, and realize that what, what we have is worth having. And we've got to first realize that what we have is worth having. You know, God blesses every single one of us. The Bible says that he loads us with with benefits daily. And, uh, and so every one of us are blessed as children of God. But the difference is some of us know it and some of us don't know it. Some of us walk in it every day. We wake up every morning and we thank God for his goodness to us. But then others of us, we wake up and we, we gripe and we, we whine and we, you know, we basically live like the rest of this world. But God's blessed us immensely. And so the first thing we must do is understand how blessed we are. When we know how, how blessed we are, two things will happen. One is we will naturally want to share this gospel with other people. Second thing that will happen is we'll have a contagious Christianity. When I was um, back in Canberra, my pastor had... He, he basically coaches soccer and he, he loves it, soccer. And he said to me, come Josh, come and play during the summer season, off season. Come and join our summer sixes team. And I wasn't really into soccer. And uh, he said, oh, it's, it's awesome. You'll love it. It's great. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking, uh, maybe, maybe not. But he kept on pushing and he had this passion for the game. And uh, that passion got me onto the field. And, you know, that first game I remember playing, thinking, what am I doing here? I could be at home, you know, sitting in front of the TV with some chips. <laughs> but his passion for the sport rubbed off on me. And, uh, and it got me out on the field. And before long, week after week, I was playing and I was enjoying the game. And it wasn't so much because I'd thought about playing soccer, but it was because of his passion. And when we've got a hobby, it's the same thing. You know, we talk about the things we love. And it rubs off. If we love loving God, we're going to tell people about how good he is. We're going to be sharing the gospel with our friends. And it's going to rub off and people are going to come. And people are going to experience it for themselves. Church cannot be a to-do list for us. Prayer cannot be a burden for us. You know, we can't have an artificial hallelujah reserved in our back pocket for when it's time to praise the Lord. We've got to have a genuine walk with God. 
And so it doesn't matter how much no, uh, scripture we know. It doesn't matter how long we've been in church. What people are looking for is people who know their God, people who love living this life. It's the difference between surviving and thriving. If we're in survival mode, um, I want to encourage you to, to keep seeking God. I had a friend in church who used to worship God with so much passion. And he would always have his arms outstretched, never just a little bit, never just one hand, both hands outstretched. His eyes would be snapped shut and he would just be always worshipping the Lord with all his heart. And I used to wonder, what is it that he knows about God that, that I haven't quite understood? Because... The more we search after God, the more he's going to reveal himself to us. You know, if we're hungry for God, he's going to show himself. And so we've just got to be hungry. We've just got to seek after him again. Read the scripture about how good he is. The scripture says in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just and are pure and are lovely, we had to think on these things. The more we meditate upon the goodness of God, the more we're going to love serving Him. And so we've got to meditate upon those things. Don't let your walk with God become mundane and just become ordinary. But let's love God with all our heart. It's a bit like the children of Israel when they were promised the land of Canaan. We find that Moses, he only got to see the land of Canaan from a distance. We find that the the 12 spies got to taste it for a short time. But we find that the next generation, they got to walk in and conquer that land. And, and that was their lifestyle. They were in the land, wherever they tread or trod. It was theirs. The Lord gave it to them. And so the, the Lord, he doesn't want us just to see the promises of God and know them from a distance. He doesn't want us just to have a one-off experience and just to taste it. But he wants us to walk in it. Day in, day out, experience his goodness, experience his love, and abide with him. To abide with him means to uh, reside with him. It's not something temporal, but it's something that we, we, uh, we do. We, we live with him. And so we've got to abide with him. And when I think of Paul and Silas singing praises to God from a prison cell, that was, that was uh, an experience they had because they had an experience with God. You know, they, they didn't let the circumstances of their life uh, hinder them from loving God. It didn't steal their prayer life. It didn't steal their, their worship. But even after they were beaten, even after they were cast into a prison cell, they cried out to God in the midnight hour and, and they sang his praises. And not only that, but God was able to use them even in those dire circumstances. It all came from a love of their walk with God, a love of their relationship with God. And so we've got to have this walk with God. Does that mean we should never have a bad hair day? No, it doesn't. You know, life throws challenges our way, but it's how we respond to the challenges. And we've got a scripture for every situation. The scripture says, cast your care upon the Lord for he cares for you. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. The scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's so many scriptures that we can 
walk on and, 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 and walk in that can strengthen us in every circumstance. And so we don't need to be knocked about left and right with every challenge that comes our way, but we've got a life more abundant. Jesus came to give us life and in more abundantly. Romans 8, I love Romans 8. And it says in Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it says, in all these things, yes, we'll go through challenges in life, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors in Him. And so the first thing we need to do is love this walk with God. The second thing we must do is love the transforming power of the message. We've got to love this message. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Imatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And in verse 3 we read, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And it goes on to say, He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In verse 1 and 2 were going great. God gave Jonah the message. You know, we have a message. But Jonah didn't have a, a love for the message. He ran the other way. He said, I hear you, Lord, but I'm running. Not only from the message, I'm running from the presence of God. <laughs> He didn't have a love for the message. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the message is only as good as the messenger. The message that's never delivered is of no value. It doesn't matter how powerful it is, how impacting it is. If we don't take the message and, we, and, and deliver it, it's of no effect. And this, this message Jesus gave his life for with the expectation that we, his church, would do our part in delivering it to our generation. So we must believe in the message and in its life-changing power. It's not just the message, but we know that there's power in the message to change lives. And we must understand what the message is. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. The message is no smaller or greater than the cross of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. And we heard about that this morning. And, and the victory that we have through the cross. We have a great message about one God. We have a great message about Acts 2.38. But we've got to wind it back to the cross. And, you know, before Acts 2.38, we've got verses 30 to 37. And they all talk about the cross, they talk about Jesus, and, and we've got to introduce people to Jesus and what he did for them before we hit them with the salvation plan. They've got to know why they need to repent. What is it that Jesus has done? So we have to tell people about forgiveness, how it became available through the cross. A debtor can now have their debt cancelled. Every wrongdoing, no matter who they are, no matter where they've gone and what they've done, can be forgiven because Jesus paid the price for their sin. His sacrifice satisfied the wrath, of, the wrath of God on sin. We can be reconciled with God again. We can be adopted 
into the family of God, praise the Lord. And we cry out, Abba, Father. He's a loving Father to us. We are justified before God. In other words, we've been declared righteous before God. There is now no more condemnation. We don't have to walk around with shame and with guilt because he's wiped our slate clean. Death has been defeated because of the cross. It's been swallowed up in victory. And so we know one day we can, we're going to rise with Jesus and, and we're going to be with him for all eternity. We're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin doesn't have power over us like it once had. And we have new life in Christ because he lives within us. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that seal upon our hearts, that experience that we had, that assurance that Jesus is, is real. His Spirit is real. And so when we have repented and given our life to Christ, he receives us. But we really receive the greater deal because we received an inheritance. We received his position. We received his good name. We received his righteousness and his future. And so this is a message that needs to be told, that needs to be shared. And it starts by telling them about forgiveness of their sin. Romans 10 and verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Someone has got to deliver the message. And, you know, we don't need to be behind a pulpit to deliver the message. We can, we can do that face to face. We read in the Bible that Jesus, yes, he preached it in the synagogues, but he shared it over a meal with Zacchaeus. He taught it on a hillside, yes, but he spoke it one-on-one -on -one with Nicodemus. How to be born again. We've got a message that must be delivered by any means we can. We can use social media. We can use song, we can use drama, we can use whatever it is, whatever vehicle we want to we come up with. And a good place to start is your testimony. You know, sometimes we think we, we don't know enough about the Bible to debate all of these uh, challenging topics and doctrinal issues. Well, how about we share our testimony? Because every one of us have a testimony. God has been good to us. And so we find in the Bible that God used the man of Gadaria, who had a legion of demons. Now, if anyone was going to be chosen to share the gospel, I don't think it would be him. I'm sure he was delivered of many demons, but he wasn't exactly a theologian. But Jesus said, no, you go back to your town. You can't follow me here. Go back to your town and tell them what, what's happened to you. Tell them how you've been delivered and you're in your right mind. And, and we know that that's exactly what he did. He went and he shared his testimony. We read about how Jesus healed a blind man from his birth. And when the Pharisees pressed him about who healed him, the healed, the healed man simply said, I don't know about this man, Jesus. He said, all I know is that once I was blind and now I can see. You know, God's been good to you and he's, he's changed your life. He's turned it around. We don't have to know everything there is about this word. It will come in time. But we just need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Hallelujah. And we read in the Bible that Paul on six different occasions, what did he do? He used his personal testimony to share the good news. His personal testimony. 
The very least we can do is say, I've been living for God for this many years. He's kept me from drugs. He's kept me from alcohol. He's kept me from uh, all of this sin. And, and he's been good to me. He's provided for my needs. He's, he's shown me uh, love. He's provided when I needed a job, when I needed an income, whatever it might have been. God has always been there for us. And we can always tell of that to those around us. And so we've got to love the message enough to share it with others. And we need to love the lost. We've got to have a compassion for lost souls. In Jonah, in chapter 4, we discover the flaw in Jonah's ministry. And Jonah didn't want God to show mercy on the Ninevites. Simply, he didn't think they deserved it. And Jonah knew that they were a wicked people. And really, he didn't want them to escape God's judgment. Jonah already had rejected the people of Nineveh in his heart. Perhaps he wouldn't have loved anything more than the judgment of God to be poured out upon them, those wicked people. And probably our greatest challenge as Christians today is to separate the sin from the sinner. Because we see them together and sometimes it's hard to say, well, God loves them when we see their sin. Because God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And our challenge is to love the sinner like Christ loved the sinner. He gave his life for the sinner. He's called the sinner's savior. And uh, because he loved the sinner, we, we read that he forgave the thief on the cross. That man who was deemed worthy of death. He showed mercy upon the woman caught in adultery. He ate with Zacchaeus knowing how he cheated his own people for his own profit. Jesus was able to look past the sin and see the heart and the need within them. And so when we think of the prodigal son's elder brother, he had this problem. When his younger brother who had wasted his, his share of the father's inheritance and when he had returned home, the older brother thought, how dare he expect mercy after what he's done? The shame he's brought upon our family name. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. And God forgive, uh, forbid, but sometimes this cry can flow from our hearts as Christians today when we look at the field. So we need a revival of compassion. We must have a burden for the lost. Every one of us, Somebody showed compassion for us. Somebody prayed for us. Someone was patient with us. And here go I, but by the grace of God. Jesus paid the highest price for every man, woman, boy and girl before they repented. And so God forbid that we would withhold his mercy. So we need to remind ourselves today that God loves all people. Yes, he loves his church. Yes, we are his bride. And we have a special place. But he died for this entire world. He died for everyone out there that you sometimes we don't want to look twice at. But he died for them. And Jesus' death on the cross was the greatest demonstration of love this world has ever known. Because it reaches beyond nationality, beyond gender, 
beyond status, beyond language, beyond religion, beyond time and beyond sin. It's for all men and all women, for all time. And the scripture tells us God is not willing that who? That any, any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of him. And so, because Jesus loved the sinner, even those who put him on the cross, he was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even the ones who put him on that cross and made him suffer the way he suffered, he asked the Father to forgive them. This is what Jesus did for sinners. He removed their sin if they would come to him. In other words, forgiveness has been made if they would come to him. He paid the debt, but they must come to him. And we must bring the message. And so therefore we must have compassion upon them. His desire is that all their sin would be washed away. That's his desire. He wants it to be washed away because he knows how damaging and how sin has, uh, has, has wreaked havoc in the lives of people. It's the sin. He wants it washed away. He wants them to be made clean. And he paid the highest price for it. And so today, we read the scripture. So many scriptures we could read about God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God commended his love toward us. Now while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The scripture says, Greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. He loves the sinner. How about you? And so we must feel what God feels for the lost if we are to win a soul. We've got to feel what he feels. We've got to get back on our knees and, and, uh, and ask God to give us that heartbeat for this world. I just want to call the musicians if they would come as I wrap it up. His passion for this world is great. And the cross is called his passion. He, the scripture calls it his passion. And we know that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? It was that souls would be saved. It was that people would come to know his love and to come to know his goodness, to be reconciled with him again. And so we are his plan. To reach this world? Who in this world are you going to reach? Who in this world are you going to take with you into glory? It's the only thing that we can take into glory with us souls. And I just want to read from Jonah chapter 3, which says, As the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. It says, Jonah arose. And he went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into that city a, a day's journey. And he, he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In verse 5 it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe before him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Removing his robe was a sign of humbling himself. He recognized God's authority and God's, God's great power. And it says that he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, lest uh, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works and they turned from their evil ways. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he, and he did it not. This is an amazing turn of events because Nineveh was a wicked city. All sorts of immorality, all sorts of wickedness was rampant through this city. And it just didn't seem like their heart would turn. There was no sign that they were seeking some sort of counsel or some sort of help. But when that message came to them, something twigged, something changed in the heart of the king and he realized, I've been caught. God sees my wickedness. God sees my sin. And I've got to change. And this same message we've got to take to the world. That they have that opportunity to turn from their sin. To turn to a loving and a merciful God. Because every one of them, without God's mercy, are destined for a Christless eternity. But if we will bring the message, if we will just give them the opportunity, then God can perhaps change their heart and show mercy upon them. God just needs someone to go and tell them. And this morning, I'm praying that God will lay somebody upon your heart. I'm praying that God will speak to you about somebody in your sphere of influence, someone in your family, someone that you know who you can pray for and intercede for. And that God will turn your heart as well to have compassion and to have love for a lost and dying world. And so this morning I invite you to stand and as I hand over to Brother Butcher, I want to just allow some time this morning for us to just seek the Lord, to refresh our, our burden for the lost, to renew our passion for this world that we would intercede on their behalf that God would give us a passion to go out into this world and to share this message of hope. Brother Simon. <laughs>